Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information and to donate online, go to 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Hello, you're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network with Nikki Stott. Produced on the lands of the Woiwurrung and Bunurong peoples of the Kulin Nation. And I wish to acknowledge that these lands were stolen and that sovereignty has never been ceded. I pay my respects to all Elders past and present and to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander peoples who are listening today. This week on Earth Matters, we hear from three different women from different parts of the world regarding grassroots solutions to the inseparable issues of food sovereignty and security and global warming. We'll hear about how industrial development and corporate-driven ecocide remain a root cause of current refugee crises around the world and can be directly linked to global food insecurity. Chronic misappropriation of natural resources has resulted in climate emergency, deep social inequality and the over-exploitation and dispossession of peoples, actively endangering all life on Earth. But last month, the United Nations General Assembly adopted the UN Declaration on the Rights of Peasants and Other People Working in Rural Areas, representing the culmination of a long historic struggle of a vast global network of hundreds of millions of peasants, small and medium-sized farmers, landless peoples, rural women and youth, indigenous peoples, migrants and agricultural workers, and fisher folk worldwide, who continue to fight for our right to healthy and culturally appropriate food produced through ecologically sound and sustainable methods, putting those who produce distribute and consume food at the heart of food systems and policies and prioritising the needs of people over the demands of markets and corporations. Later in the show, we'll hear from Gladys Sewa Adusa at the Ecumenical Association for Sustainable Agriculture and Rural Development in Ghana on the challenges faced by small-scale farmers in Western Central Africa and also Susan Herawati from the People's Coalition for Fisheries Justice about how grassroots fisher folk in Indonesia are working to counter the environmental and social impacts of extractive mining industries, sea grabbing and artificial land reclamation, and how Indonesia's government hype about the blue carbon capturing of CO2 emissions is in conflict with local indigenous knowledge systems. But first, we'll hear from Dr. Vandana Shiva, speaking at the Bonn Conference for the International Development and Humanitarian Sectors in London last year, about how grassroots organic farming provides us with a logical and comprehensive solution to our current global environmental and social justice crises. The planet has been pushed into a deep crisis of her ecological systems. We are in the sixth extinction, pushing species to extinction, at a thousand times the normal rate and is going to move up to 10,000 times if we continue business as usual. Climate change will be six degrees warmer, but I think that's a smaller part of the problem. The bigger part of the problem is people are dying today. 2013, in my region, I come from the Himalaya, 
20,000 people were washed away. And sadly, given the irresponsibility of many polluters and many governments who could regulate the polluters, we as citizens will have to do even more. But the other side of this ecological crisis is the social crisis, which takes on many, many, many forms. The crisis of unemployment, the crisis of uprooting and displacement, and when non-sustainable land use combines with climate change, the crisis of refugees, I'd take you back to 2009, when it was a drought, an extreme drought, that triggered such a collapse of the agrarian economy of Syria that a million peasants moved to the cities. That was the beginning of the problem. We are building structures by mining the foundations and thinking now I'll have the second floor and maybe the third floor, but we are preparing for the whole system to collapse. In my understanding, the social crisis and the ecological crisis are one crisis because we are interconnected, we are part of nature, but more than that, every time we harm nature, we harm society. Every number that rules our minds and our lives today is a fraudulent number. Now, a scientific definition of productivity should be output per unit input, where you take all the outputs you create and all the inputs you put in. What is our manipulated productivity? You only count commodities, not the benefits to society, not the well-being, and the only input you count is human beings, not the resources, not the fossil fuels. This distorted definition has come from the fossil fuel age, and sadly the very definition of a productive enterprise is the less people there. When it comes to food, that definition becomes the root of hunger and malnutrition. Because you define a productive system as one which produces more commodities with less people and more fossil fuels. 40 to 50% of greenhouse gases come from industrial farming and globalized distribution of food. That globalized distribution of food is not creating food, not producing food. 90% of the corn and soya is going for animal feed and biofuel. So we shouldn't be surprised that a billion people are denied food. But it's not just a billion who are denied food. Two billion are denied healthy food. And that includes in the north. Because we're not looking at producing food. We're looking at producing commodities. We're not looking at how much inputs we made in resource terms, water terms, fossil fuel terms. Ten units of energy to produce one unit of food. No sector could survive with that system. Our work has also shown that when you look at food and you look at nutrition and you measure that and do a true productivity, we can feed to Indians by taking care of biodiversity, which also then takes care of climate change because inorganic farming is the only ecological system that takes the excess greenhouse gases from the atmosphere and puts them into the soil. This is now scientifically established. Our work is showing that if the whole world went organic, in 10 years we could reverse climate change. If we all went organic, we could get rid of malnutrition tomorrow. There's a British Journal article that's showing 60% loss in the nutrition in our food because of chemical farming. Because nutrition begins in the soil. 
The person who promoted organic farming by learning from Indian peasants, Sir Albert Howard, wrote a book called The Agriculture Testament, was sent to India in 1905 to improve us. And that's part of the problem, that we are always being improved. But he was humble enough to recognize, and he said so clearly, that the Indian peasant is my professor. So we measure biodiversity, we measure nutrition, we measure soil health. And he said, health is a continuum from the soil to the plants to the humans. It's one continuum, something we've forgotten. Our farmers, their incomes are declining, small farms are disappearing in England, in Europe, in India. So much of what we grew, 10,000 species we used to eat, we've been reduced to 12, and the global trade is now four GMO. Four. That doesn't make for health. Three issues, education, malnutrition, poverty, they're all achievable. We will, of course, have to change what we recognize as learning. And learning we need is how do we live at peace with the earth and each other. Those are different skills. Malnutrition, better farming. You need more people on the land and the young people want to be on the land. The economies around nourishing people can take care of everyone, but this applies even more to the South where the wrong model of development is uprooting people and displacing people, and that's the root of the refugee crisis. Yes, we can take care of refugees in refugee camps, but the two deep solutions are ensure that our models don't displace them. Second, that the insecurities created through non-sustainability don't translate into inequalities of such a kind that insecurity breeds fear and hate and a model of the economy that destroys people's lives, creates deep divisions between the 1% and 99%, ends up creating a politics in which the capital is only hate and only fear. In these precarious times, each one of us counts. Let's play our role. Thank you. That was Dr. Vandana Shiva speaking in London last year about how small to medium-scale organic farming is the only logical solution to our current global environmental and social crises. You're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. This week on the show, we marked the passing last month of the UN Declaration on the Rights of Peasants and Other People Working in Rural Areas representing the culmination of a long historic struggle for the rights of hundreds of millions of diverse grassroots peoples around the world to define their own biodiverse foods and agricultural systems. Coming up next, we'll hear from Gladys Sewa Adusa, a local farmer and spokesperson for the Ecumenical Association for Sustainable Agriculture and Rural Development, based in Ghana, a member of the international La Via Campesina Peasant Farmers Movement, my name is Gladysewa Adusa. My organization is called Ekasad. I'm a farmer. I grow cashew. I grow maize and yam. And I have uh, about 50 acres of cashew. When it's bearing fruit and the time for harvesting, I don't get marketing. And uh, the women I'm working with who also come with complaints that they are also not getting marketing. We wanted to know that these uh, processing machines, 
that can help us to add value to the cashew will be of a great importance. If I will get a means from any uh, organization or any benevolent society, that can help us to get process, simple processing machines for women in the rural areas to add value to the cashew because we just throw away the fruits. We correct only the nuts. And after correcting the nuts, we just sell it raw. And that is hindering the progress. We don't get money. And as such, we are not able to look after our children. The poverty is draining the women, me as well. We want to do away with the, the middle women who come to the farmers, give us loans when uh, the farming season is off, just to keep us alive. And when it, uh, after farming and I harvest, I need to pay this money with interest. And the middle women who come to buy are those people who decide the price for me, which is very bad. We need to get money to engage the media. Media engagement goes a long way to promote whatever we are producing. People want to buy, but they don't know that you are producing it. How? We want to engage them, tell our story, so that they will be able to promote the rural women in my country as well. Government, what can the government also do for us, for the women that I'm working with? The women are always crying because of poor road infrastructure and poverty, no loans to expand farms. We talk of family farming, which is very small, and the family of six or seven depends on this family farm. And what can we do? I don't have land to use as a collateral. I don't have a house to use as a collateral. I am afraid that in future, the feeding of our nations are going to be in a chaos because people will not go into farming. The young ones are always running away. Migration is killing our young ones from Africa. You have heard it all over. Ghana, a lot of boys, young boys and girls, are dying in the Mediterranean Sea with the hope of going to Italy, Europe, to find a greener pasture, where there is no work there for them. They don't understand the language. They are last put in a, a camp like refugees, and they are there. Some who die on the sea, we don't hear about them. The parents will be sitting down and crying. My daughter, my son has traveled. My daughter has traveled. I'm not hearing of her. She will be thinking of her. Then she will also die and leave the rest of the family. No land, no water, no seed protection. The seed that we are growing now, we don't know where the origin is. You produce and you cannot reproduce again. But before now, Women were custodians of seed. We produce our own seed, we protect it, and they replant it. But now the seeds that are coming, we just buy them. Every year you need to go and buy. Where will a rural farmer go to get uh, money to buy seed always? Where are we going to get irrigation for our farming? Because the climate change has changed the weather pattern and the rainfall pattern for farming in our region. We need a lot of education. All men should understand that we are all equal. We need to be treated equally. We respect them, they should also respect us. They should involve rural women 
in the planning of uh, policies for agriculture. They should involve women in the decision-making in families as the culture demands that women are not to be heard. Now there must be a change that women should be involved in decision-making. They should be involved in implementation of these decisions. We don't want the idea of the white-colour job men and women in big, big cities sitting at the offices and formulating policies for the rural women. They don't know anything about farming. They have never tested it. They have not gone to farm. So it's time that we change these issues and then try to get the women involved in whatever is happening around them. You're listening to Earth Matters, and that was Gladys Sewerdusa, a local farmer and spokesperson for the Ecumenical Association for Sustainable Agriculture and Rural Development, based in Ghana, on the challenges faced by small-scale farmers in Western Central Africa. Next up, Susan Herawati from the People's Coalition for Fisheries Justice in Indonesia, which is also a member of the International La Via Campesina Peasant Farmers Movement, speaking at the 2017 United Nations Climate Change Conference in Bonn, Germany, about the fight of small-scale fisher folk against extractive mining industries, sea grabbing and artificial land reclamation, and how Indonesian government's hype about the blue carbon capturing of CO2 emissions is in conflict with local indigenous knowledge systems. Hello everyone, my name is Susan, I'm coming from Indonesia. My organization is uh, namely Kiara, the People Coalition for Fisheries Justice. We've been working close with the fisheries, especially with the fisher folk. Recently, talking about the climate change, in 2015, Indonesia committed to reduce 29% uh, reduction, something like that. But the situation is uh, quite uh, contradictive with what happens nowadays. Especially if you're talking about the fisheries sectors, blue carbon is one thing, but there is a fundamental situation that happened in our fisher folk, especially related to the extractive uh, industry, uh, that is uh, mining. At least there are 17 points, 17 areas in our waters that already become exploited by the mining industry. One of them is the sand mining. There is a big, big company who want to do the sand mining, iron mining in our sea. The community are really, really smart. The fisher folk are really, really smart. And they notice that there is a differences between before mining and after mining. And the fighting started and now they took back the waters to the fisher folk. But the thing, this is only happened in one area. It could be happened in any waters in Indonesia. The other thing is nowadays there is a lot of mega development that uh, happened in Indonesia. If you ever heard about the reclamation issues, reclamations, it means that you want to build a new land in the middle of the sea. It's uh, the, the crazy thing. So you mining the sand from another area, then you put the sand into the water so to build the new land. The claiming is always saying that Indonesia needs new land, but as you know, we are really, really rich country. We are archipelagic state, and we have a lot of island. The reclamation issue now happened big in uh, Jakarta, near to uh, the central city, uh, the heart of the Indonesia. But we noted there is at least 28 reclamation project that is belong to the investor, investment. So uh, 
reclamation and mining both it's um, caused to the water grabbing and then affect a lot of people we noticed that there is at least 30% of fisher folk are already changing their occupation from the fisher folk and then end up into labor they went to the big city and then or they become the fish worker in indonesia context if you move the occupation to the fish worker there is no certain regulation who can protect the right of the fisher worker so that's another problem related to the climate change we noticed that in 2016 there are more than 145 people who missing in the sea since there is a lot of uh, increasing number of missing people kiara together with fisher folk try to raising awareness among themselves if the people are uh, asking why are you knowing that the climate is changing they say um, maybe because they don't really know what's going on what they know it's someday he went to one island and then the next day he want to go to that island is already gone something like that that happened in indonesia and then during 2016 there is strong negotiation among civil society community and the government that uh, we are pushing the government to release the law which is law number 7 2016 it's talking about the protection and the empowerment of fisher folk uh, shrimp uh, fish farmer and also salt farmer for the very beginning for the first time our government talking about the climate change through the regulation which is saying that people who are missing in the sea here is the insurance for you but the thing is if you talking about the insurance protections it's only for the men because of the mindset of the fisher folk it's only for the men but not for those uh, women who go directly to the sea in the middle of the climate change thing uh, what i can see there is a lot of effort from the community for example like the women they know exactly that everything is changing and then the husband cannot go to the sea so they start building the new system economic system they through the cooperative and so on the initiative comes up from the woman then then the man try to also make the cooperative system that's what happened in indonesia in 2009 there is a new concept the new thing that which is promoted by our government it uh, namely the blue carbon If you want to contribute to reduce the emission you should invest in our water something like that the, the mechanism what is the point if you're talking about the blue carbon it means you have to manage a lot of big conservation issues in indonesia we believe that conservation is something which is integral with the community they already have their own conservation so if this blue carbon comes up and try to enter the mechanism of conservation it can cause uh, to the issues of conflict why don't we have the strong will to cut every mega development in our country to commit uh, strongly to reduce the emission we believe that blue carbon is not considering the people needs and then it will be caused a lot of water grabbing uh, in our sea so it based on the core map Uh, the coral triangle initiative that already developed nowadays but it seems so failed because a lot of corruption under this project so the blue carbon have the potential thing to be uh, the next failed solution for the climate change we have to have the same vision that the uh, sea fisher folk especially um, considering the the sea it's like the mother for them it's our mother so if you you have to take care of it just like you take care of your mother 
they are giving uh, food, they provide life and thing and so on. So that's uh, no wonder in Indonesia we have the local knowledge to, con- to manage the conservation. A lot of conservation happen in, in our waters. First we have Panglima Laut, we have Awik-Awik, we have Sasi, we have everything, a lot of uh, local knowledge to conserve our waters. So if the blue carbon comes up, and try to push these people away, so it's going to be a lot of conflict horizontal that could be happens. We are still questioning about the position of the people, since they already have their local knowledge, but our government already started to invest, try to promote it, and try to get as many as uh, the investor. Blue Corbin is still uh, questioning by a lot of NGO nowadays, there is one big effort that our government and us can do that. It starts uh, with reviewing all the license, all the projects that can contribute to the climate change, for such as reclamation, tourism, uh, mining, and so on. So if they want to push the blue carbon, they should also integrate it with the community. You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network with Nikki Stott, and that was Susan Herawati from the People's Coalition for Fisheries Justice at kiara.or.id in Indonesia, which is also a member of the international La Via Campesina Peasant Farmers Movement, speaking at the 2017 United Nations Climate Change Conference in Bonn, Germany, about how fisher folk there are fighting extractive mining industries, sea grabbing and artificial land reclamation, and how Indonesian government hype about the blue carbon capturing of CO2 emissions is in conflict with their local indigenous knowledge systems. Today on the show we marked the passing last month of the UN Declaration on the Rights of Peasants and Other People Working in Rural Areas, representing the culmination of a long historic struggle by hundreds of millions of diverse grassroots farmers, workers and indigenous peoples around the world who continue to fight for the right to healthy and culturally appropriate food produced through ecologically sound and sustainable methods, putting those who produce, distribute and consume food at the heart of food systems and policies and prioritising the needs of people over the demands of markets and corporations. We also heard from Gladys Sewa Adusa, a local farmer and spokesperson from the Ecumenical Association for Sustainable Agriculture and Rural Development at ekasadgana.org. Ekasad is a member of the international La Via Campesina peasant farmers movement and Gladys was talking about the challenges faced by small-scale farmers in West and Central Africa, the impacts of widespread poverty, famine displacement and GMO industries and what peasant-based agroecology movements can do to empower women farmers and workers within those movements towards food sovereignty. And we also heard from Dr Vandana Shiva at the Bonn Conference for the International Development and Humanitarian Sectors in London last year about the ecological and social impacts of industrial development and how small to medium scale organic farming is the only solution with the international movement of peasant farmers leading the way. You can find out more information at vandanashiva.com. La Via Campesina, the international peasant, indigenous, small farmers and agricultural workers movement can be found at viacampesina.org. Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Radio Network for all their hard work in bringing you this program today and the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their generous support. Earth Matters is produced at 3CR Community Radio in Fitzroy, Melbourne and we can be contacted at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com. 
That's all for now, but tune in next week for more environmental and social justice stories. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.